Are you tired of hearing mental health from a superficial view and want to hear about realistic views? Well, you come to the right place, a space where healing is central, but also normalized. Your hosts, Donika and Myra, who are in the mental health field, will explore topics to help promote healing in your everyday life. Through our podcast, you will get the real and the work to focus on your healing. Welcome to Black Women Healing Podcast. All right, so, hey everyone we are back with another episode of black women healing podcast and we have another very very special guest i'm so excited for this episode y'all as dr aisha metzger she is a licensed clinical psychologist and y'all know we're gonna get into her bio but first i i sure we start off with a random scenario so random scenario i'll just have to know all right so um okay Hmm. Oh, you don't think too hard. It look like your brain's starting to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Uh, but the, I be trying to like see what's going on in my life right now, what's happening in my present moment, you know, and trying to figure out what to do with that. Okay. Um, random scenario: if if you opened your door right now. And it was a dog right at your door. (laughs) What would you do with this dog? Right at the front of your door, as soon as you open it. Close my door. That'd be the end of the story. (laughs) (laughs) What if it wouldn't go away? What if it wouldn't go away? I wouldn't know because I wouldn't go I have two phobias and one of them is dogs, so no. <laughs> like the you should have picked, I don't know, a bird. Okay, for, for instance, for you, let's say is a cat a phobia? Because these are more of like the more domesticated animals people would normally have. Right? Oh, okay, no, we can go with cat. We can go okay. with cat. What would you do with this cat? Is that the it won't leave you alone? Is there every time you open your door? I would I would have a new kitty. Oh, I actually have tuna, right? So in my um, end of days prep, I don't usually eat canned food, but I do have tuna. So I would bring the cat in. I would Google how to care for a cat because I don't know how. Um, but I would have a cat and I would be explaining to my mom how I got an animal. <laughs> <laughs> As you can see, it was super random. Um, Myra, what about you? What would you do? Say if you, if a dog or cat was at your uh, door when you opened it and it would just wouldn't leave. I would call animal control. I don't do pets. Um, specifically dogs, I don't do dogs. I still don't do cats. I just don't do pets. Unless it's a goldfish or something like that. I'm not doing it. I don't want it in my house. So I'm going to have to go. I'm going to say it's a wild animal in my house so they can hurry up and come. Wild. <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, I'm not really an animal person either. Um, yeah, I think that I would probably have to call somebody first because my first instinct wouldn't be to what you say. Who you who would you call, Myra? Animal control. I wouldn't even think that. I don't even know what to do. So I would have to like call you, and then you would have to tell me to do that. Uh, <laughs> or I can see me like asking my neighbors, like, "Can y'all come get this cat or this dog? Can y'all come get this? I don't know what to do." Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no. Mm-mm. But that's the, it's funny I asked that because my friend earlier today, literally I just got the phone with her and she's seen, she's one of those 
if she sees an animal on the street and just seems like it's lost, she like feels like she has to help it. And she was saying what was different this time is because of the coronavirus and how animals, you know, they can contract it too. So she didn't want to pick it up. Um, but oh, wow. somebody ended up picking it up and putting it in her car and she drove it to like the nearest shelter. Uh, like the dog and I was just like girl I would never do that like I be if I see an animal out on the street I just immediately assume it's gonna find its way to where it's supposed to go like <laughs> I just do I don't think twice I have a student who's animals and she always has a new cat and a new dog and one has a broken leg and I'm like girl you cannot save the animal world right now but she does and she tries so random fact, there's a shortage of animals in the shelters in, um, in California because I guess right when the coronavirus hit, a lot of people were going and getting a lot of animals. So this is like the lowest amount of animals that they've ever seen in shelters. Really? Well, that's sweet. That's sweet. Mm -hmm. yeah. I have a friend who was online who's single and was like, look, who got a dog? I'll make this dog. I'll take care of anything you need. So yeah, I'm sure people ran to the shelter and said, I will adopt something. Oh, that's funny. All right, y'all. So I'm going to jump into Aisha's um, bio. So Dr. Aisha Metzger is a first-generation American from Atlanta, Georgia, by way of Sierra Leone, West Africa. She graduated from Georgia State with a BA in psychology. Subsequently, Dr. Metzger earned her MA and PhD in clinical community psychology from the University of South Carolina. Dr. Metzger completed her pre-doctoral internship in clinical psychology at the Medical University of South Carolina where she also completed her postdoctoral fellowship at the National Crime Victims Research and Treatment Center. Dr. Metzger currently serves as visiting research faculty in the Center for Inter Interdisciplinary Research on AIDS Research Education Institute for Diverse Scholars Program at Yale University. In her primary role, Dr. Metzger is an assistant professor of clinical psychology at the University of Georgia. Dr. Metzger has de developed a systemic research program aimed at, what is that word? Elucidating. Elucidate. Thank you, girl. I'm like, what is that? The role of culture in treatment to better inform outcomes for African-American youth receiving services in real world settings. Dr. Mesker's research interests focus on reducing mental health disparities through increasing engagement and enhancing treatment outcomes among underserved minority populations, i.e. African-Americans. Specifically, Dr. Mesker is interested in preventing engagement in risky behavior such as sexual activity, alcohol use, and delinquency, as well as understanding risk and resilience factors. For example, trauma experiences, racial socialization, and discrimination. The impact their relationship between trauma exposure and problematic outcomes such as SCIs, HIV exposure, unintended pregnancies, re-victimization, drunk driving, accidents, and legal system involvement. So you guys may be wondering how we even found her. So I had to do a TFCBT training and I saw a black woman. I was like, who is that? <laughs> I was shook because I had to sit through eight hours of training and then I see a black woman come on my screen. I was like, what? So I literally paused it and I was like, who is this? And I started Googling her and it was crazy because we had a guest on the podcast and she was talking about TFCBT and I was like, I literally just learned this from Aisha and I was talking about you. And then I was like, Tanika, let's reach out to her. I was like, I don't think she's going to but let's just reach out to her. Yeah, so that's how we found you. That's awesome. And man, I was a mess and I didn't reply to you guys for like five months, but I'm so glad that you got a lot out of that training. I'm so glad that you guys did reach out. I'm so glad that 
TSCBT is something that um, at least it sounds like you're getting um, some evidence based in. Yep. Are you practicing right now? Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. And it's crazy because I was telling Donika, I was like, it's crazy to see a black woman doing this. I want to do it. And remember, Donika, a month later, I got an offer to do the same thing. Not TFCBT, but cultural competency. So I had to be a therapist on camera and then just talk about, like, cultural competency. So I was like, hmm, happy that I came across to you. That was crazy. That was wow, that is awesome. That is um, one of my prior lives. So I did that when I was on either internship or postdoc. Um in South Carolina, and right now I've actually extended that research. So, mm. as you like, everybody I was working with was white, right? Um, so I've continued working with them, but I've kind of branched off of that, and I've started doing research and clinical work specifically focused on Black kids and how to make TBT work for Black kids. So I'm excited to hear about this. I'm gonna tell my supervisor that I talked to you because we all have to watch you. Like it's just a part of our training for this job that I'm doing. So we all have to watch you. So to hear that you're furthering your research and making sure that you're including Black folks is so important. Yeah. And what population are you going to be working with? Ethnic minorities? Are they diverse? So I work with foster youth and I do work with ethnic minorities. Um, my population I love is Tay. So I love Tay and I love working with, of course, my Black clients. So that's important. So yes. tell us okay. a little bit about you and your journey to become a like, yeah. Um, so you started off by saying that I'm West African and whenever I talk about kind of what my journey is, I have to say that because I am West African, it is right. Um, that's long before I was born. No. Um, so my parents, um, came over here in the early eighties. Hopefully I'm not breaking up. I just got a notification that my internet is unstable. Okay. Um, my parents came over here in the early eighties. Um, I was born in a little bit later than that, um, and a lot of my family came afterwards. There was a civil war in Sierra Leone, so um, in my household at one point, so I grew up in College Park, Georgia, um, but at one point we had anywhere from like six to 14 of us in the house, and there were um, a lot of experiences that my cousins, that my adopted siblings, that my grandparents were telling me about that were traumatic, um, that were in my little mind, right, just scary and things that I wanted to help them get over and I didn't really know how, um, as opposed to just talking to them, right? So when I got to high school, I was taking AP psychology courses and my vocabulary started to build and my understanding around what trauma was and how that impacts um, developing youth just started to grow in really my interest um, in psychology further. So, like I said, I'm West African and it was always, you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. So I had to make my choice and I went from pediatrician to once I found out what clinical psychology was, um, I really just felt that that was the best way to treat what I was interested in um, and that being childhood trauma. Um, so as you read a little bit of my bio, you can see that I went to um, a lot of schooling and did some clinical training and some postdoc training in order to make that happen. But really, um, what I'll say is that my journey has just been one of trying to figure out what makes Black people heal um, from traumatic experiences and how to really integrate that into the treatments that we're doing and making sure that those experiences are heard in the research. 
um, that scene in that as well. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I always find it, um, you know, pretty interesting when, when we don't have folks who look like us doing research about us. Um, very like, huh? Um, so thank you so much for, um, you know, taking the time because in order to to do the research for it to be able to be um, like in publications because technically we could all do some sort of research. Um, yeah, thank you for taking the time to go through all the schooling and everything to get there because it's a lot of work. <laughs> and thank my parents because they didn't give me much of a choice. So, <laughs> yeah, you talking. <laughs> Right. So um, I always say I was I'm, I was going to do the work somehow. Right. So I started off working at cares and I was a Sunday school teacher and then I worked in nurseries. Um, but it was really my parents who just forced me to say, listen, academic excellence is also a thing and that's an expectation. So, yeah, you can figure out how you want to do this work that you want to do, but it needs to be backed by something. Right. Um, and the older I've gotten, I've started to see, of course. Uh, the benefit of using the evidence base and of using, mm -hmm. you know, solve some of these problems that we are seeing. Yep, for sure. Shout out to your parents. Um, right. Uh, going to this uh, question. Uh, so if you all, um, for you all, we didn't, we most definitely didn't say the topic. So today y'all will be focused on Black women and childhood trauma. Uh, and as you can see, we have a scholar with us, someone who can really help us break it down. So our first question is, we always want to be most informative to our audience and to ourselves. So we want to start off by defining trauma. Hmm. Yeah, so um, whenever I define trauma, I tell people to think about it on a spectrum. Um, so think about a spectrum of stress on one end and trauma on the other end where um, stressors are just our normal er everyday occurrences, right? Things that get your heart rate up, things that um, interpersonally affect you like an argument with your boyfriend, right? If you take that and it becomes traumatic, that is something like domestic violence. Um, so trauma simply defined instance or an occurrence where you have either threatened or actual violence um, that is experienced directly or that is experienced vicariously. Um, mm. so it could be something that threatens your life or um, something that actually ends the life of someone around you. Um, so that definition is very broad. <laughs> to narrow it down to give you more traumatic experiences or things like sexual abuse, like domestic violence, um, like physical abuse and neglect. So different experiences that, again, can either threaten or ultimately lead to death are those that are traumatic. Hmm. Well, yeah. I most definitely, uh, trauma is it's a hard one to kind of define because it is, like you said, it's on a spectrum and, you know, different people experience trauma differently or they may have been through one of these things such as, um, I'll say a lot of, I'm a work with probation and a lot of my clients have been to prison or jail and they go, oh yeah, I was stabbed, but it necessarily might not be traumatic in the sense that it doesn't leave, like they're, they're not having these of nightmare flashbacks is just kind of like an experience and not saying right. it doesn't impact them but it doesn't really feel like a trauma in a sense because they've normalized it so much um right right and you hear this so whenever i talk to people about okay oh, no no go ahead go ahead 
So um, I was just kind of reflecting on your point in that um, traumatic experiences happen to say 60% of the population, right? And of that, we do know, like you said, that most of us are resilient. Most of us utilize our community resources, our family resources, spirituality, our own individual characteristics. Um, and we often are able to go ahead and heal from that. Um, what you just kind of alluded to when you talked about flashbacks, when you talk about the changes that happen to our mood, um, is something that happens clinically when some people aren't able to heal or to bounce back. And that's often called post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, again, it's really just a reflection of people's reactions, like you said, to traumatic experiences. So when experience happens, um, like you alluded to, most of us are able to heal, but when we're not, that's when it gets into something that's either post-traumatic stress disorder or depression, anxiety. You just alluded to flashbacks, nightmares, right? People will talk about headaches, stomach aches, depending on the age, right? Um, the way that their symptoms are. But um, definitely do encounter stressful or traumatic experiences. It's going to be individual basis, whether or not um, something clinical develops from that. Yeah, absolutely. Can you explain any differences between impacts of childhood trauma versus adult trauma? Right, right. So um, I said that I'm interested mostly in childhood trauma um, because I think that childhood presents um, a particularly one vulnerable time for for kids, but also a time where they're still forming identities, they're still able to um, bounce back or heal from what from what they've experienced. You can correct some of their inaccurate thoughts. You can help their feelings um, a little easier. So what happens in adulthood when we experience trauma, we already have these views or ideals of the way that the world works. Um, so traumatic experiences in adulthood oftentimes um, are those that um, are more surprising. They're the ones that are harder to bounce back from. They're the ones that kind of shake those core values that you have. Um, whereas in childhood, those core values haven't, um, either they haven't been developed or the childhood trauma is what is starting to shape those core values. So um, like with language development, right? It's easier to develop a language as a kid. So with kids, it's easier to kind of take whatever it is they've been going through and say, yeah, you can think of it that way, but you can also think of it another way. Whereas with adults, we've already got our, our mindsets um, and our ways of interacting with the world, right? Um, and oftentimes when we experience trauma then, either, like I said, it's something that kind of disrupts what we're already thinking, um, or it's just something that's a little harder to get over. Hmm. Hmm. How would you say childhood trauma affects one in their adulthood? Kind of transitioning into that question. Right. So um, for those who experience trauma in childhood who either haven't fully healed from it or haven't kind of um, fully coped with experiences, we that in adulthood they have problems either with their relationships they have problems with their own self-identity and their own self-esteem. Um, they have problems with the, with the way that they're able to cope and respond to stressors in their life. Um, so that's where you start to see um, substance use and substance misuse. That's where you start to see um, problematic 
patterns of relationships, right? So you were physically abused as a kid or you saw your mom or your dad physically abused, you witnessed domestic violence and you, um, you gravitate towards relationships that feel familiar to that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that what, what trauma does as a child is it changes the ways that we interact with people. It changes the ways that we interact with ourselves, right? So our ability to regulate our emotions um, is something that... Mm-hmm. Just if you're in an abusive environment as a child, um, when you're an adult, maybe you get into an argument and you're not as able to regulate your emotions because no one's taught you how to calm down and express yourself when you're angry, right? Um, what was modeled for you was someone who lashed out physically. Um, so as kids, we learn based on what we see, right? Um, so social learning theories, what will tell us that, okay, if as a kid I see daddy beat on mommy when he's upset, as an adult, if I haven't corrected that that thought or that pattern of behavior, that's what I'm going to repeat to. Mm. Wow. Mm. It makes me think about how, you know, as a child, you can pick up on patterns. Yeah, it makes me think of even. Oh. Wait, what'd you say, Donika? No, don't go ahead. I was going to say, it just makes me think about, like, if you don't work through um, childhood trauma, how when you have a child, like, I'm just, like, imagine, like, what that looks like. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Wow. Right. right. I can't even imagine. All these processes are, all these are different. Um, but I think what you're alluding to, they're physically abusive or emotionally abusive or neglectful childhood environment, right? So if you don't have a parent who sat down and looked you in your eye and talked to you about your feelings and said, okay, we're going to take three deep breaths and we're going to calm down, right? If you have a kid who's freaking out and throwing a tantrum like kids do, you're not going to have the skills or the resources to go ahead and help your kid regulate their emotions unless you've done something to proactively go out um, and again, correct that experience that you had in childhood or just teach yourself, right? Which is a lot of what, as you know, Myra, um, we do in, in therapy is just correcting some of the inaccurate thoughts that we have, some of the inaccurate patterns of feelings, right? Um, and, and, and trying to reverse kind of what we either have learned or haven't learned in childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's pretty much exactly what I'm gonna say about those like the CBT with the distorted thoughts. Like, really, over like the span of your life, you are picking up on all of these different like beliefs and thoughts. And and so once you, if you're if your childhood was filled with all this trauma, once you get to adulthood, you've either accepted or dismantled some of these thoughts and beliefs. And some of them that you may have accepted may be negative to how you want to maneuver in life. And so like. It's, it's like extremely important, I think, to kind of constantly, regardless of trauma in general, but just kind of to constantly really think about your beliefs and where they come from and if you agree with them or not. And if you want to work on like changing them or uh, rationalizing them or trying to figure out how is it working to you to have this thought. Yeah. yeah. That's powerful. Um, in your experience, what are the top three common traumas that Black women face? Um, black women specifically, so I would say the same I listed for childhood trauma, so abuse and physical abuse. Um, when you think about um, black women, intersectionality, right? So they are women and they're likely to face sexual abuse, but they're also black. Um, and racial stress and trauma is something that um, 
both know impacts women, impacts Black people. It's something that is unique to this population. Um, so that could be our day-to-day -day instances and occurrences of microaggressions when you're talking to a white co-worker. That could be um, vicarious racial trauma when you're seeing Breonna Taylor every time you scroll up and down your timeline, right? Um, when you're seeing Armand Arbery, right? So just um, different instances of racial stress and trauma, I think, um, are important to consider when we're thinking about how Black women are navigating in their day-to-day -day lives. And of course, the instances of sexual and domestic violence that they experience as well. Can you let our listeners know what racial stress is? Because I don't know if they know what that means. Like, just give a little definition of it. Yeah. Um, so like um, childhood trauma, interpersonal trauma, so racial trauma is a, a traumatic experience that you encounter simply because of your race and ethnicity. So in this case, because you're Black. Um, and these are experiences that just like physical abuse or domestic violence are predictable, they're um, uncontrollable by the recipient. Um, they are ones that if we experience them, they lead to hypervigilance, they lead to us being triggered, all the same things that we think of when we think about interpersonal trauma um, are the same factors that are relevant when we think about racial stress and racial trauma. Um, and the same as well, right? So if you think about a microaggression and someone saying, oh, you speak well for a Black girl, right? That's one thing as opposed to you getting pulled over and beat up by the police. Yeah. Um, so that that spectrum exists as well and then listen we're black women so let's talk about historical trauma and systemic racial trauma right so we're dying in childhood right? um just thinking about different um traumatic experiences that us on the societal level as well um are ones that every day as we're going through this society we're having to to combat combat and contend with yeah it makes me think like because you mentioned the word intersectionality i'm thinking about you and you being a psychologist, and I'm just wondering, I'm sure you've experienced trauma this life, right? So I'm just wondering, how do you navigate, you know, this being your niche, and then you also experiencing it in your personal life? Hmm. Yeah, um, I, I mean, it's, it's, I think, like with any profession, right? So you have a medical doctor who has diabetes. They know what to do, but they're not gonna manage it the best, right? So um, I would say that I work on the same strategies that I tell my clients to work on. Um, I focus on my thoughts. I focus on being very mindful of how I feel. I focus on my reactions, right? Um, I focus on behavioral activation, which if you think about it on a very basic level, that's self-care, right? Taking walks, treating mm -hmm. myself, mm -hmm. um, doing things that are going to prolong my physical health, but also my mental health. Getting out in the sun is not just because, right, my melanin needs to pop, but it's also because it's going to lift my mood, right? It's going to give me more patience when I need to talk to somebody later in the day who I don't want to talk to, right? Um, uh, help me later if I am triggered, right? Knowing how to take deep breaths to calm myself down, knowing that listen, these stressors are happening, but when I go home tonight, I'm going to be able to take a bath, right? So self-care um, and really just talking to myself nicely and being kind to myself. So, um, and when we think about traumatic experiences in childhood, right, these are messages that you can receive from 
Um, I just talked about a civil war in West Africa, right? So this could be violence that's going on in your community, Black Lives Matter and the violence that's going on right now here. But this could also be messages that you're hearing in the media that you need to combat, right? So someone telling, um, I was about to say sizzle, but somebody just told some beautiful Black queen that she had a bulldog face, right? So being able to combat those messages um, and say that, I talk to myself and, and think about myself um, are the same things that I tell my clients when they're dealing with, with their own traumatic or stressful experiences. Um, and yeah, it is, it is a, a, daily, a daily task. It is a, a lifelong journey, right? So you guys asked about um, healing from childhood trauma in adulthood, even if you go to therapy and you're done with therapy, right? The the strategies and tools that we give are not just for while you're in therapy. It's for when you're done with therapy. Um, so I always tell clients, you're working out and you're getting in shape and you're eating right. If you get done with your trainer, you're going to be done with therapy, right? Are you going to be done and say, okay, I'm done. Now I get to get fat again. No, you're going to say, I'm going to keep working on what I've been working on. So even though I have these tools, um, even myself as a trainer, I do make sure that I am eating right and taking care of myself and, and doing what I tell tell my clients to do. Yeah, absolutely. I know you kind of mentioned a little bit, but outside of therapy, how can one just start their healing journey involving childhood trauma? Um, so the, the one tool that um, I think is really important is to really be mindful of the connection between what you think, how you feel, and what you do. So hopefully, Myra, this is familiar to you, but um, I just described what's called the cognitive behavioral triangle. Mm -hmm. Never those words when you're talking to somebody on the street, but there is a connection between, right, what you think, how you feel, and what you do. Um, and I think that as much as you can be mindful of that in any situation, um, and as much as you can try to have positive and helpful and accurate thoughts, <laughs> um, the more you will have beneficial feelings and positive feelings and the more that you will act in a way that is conducive to how you want to act. Um, so I give my kid clients <laughs> kind of an ongoing example. Um, and this is for someone who's experienced childhood trauma, but again, we're thinking about it on a spectrum. So this could be something where it was a life and death situation where your parents were beating on you every day, or this could just be you growing up a regular kid um, in a low income neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. um, so an example that I would give would be to say, you walk into a cafeteria, you, um, look over at the table that you want to walk over to and everyone starts laughing. What's the first thing you think? Donica. Oh, Donica. So, Donica. Uh, thank you. Um, I would say I'm a kid, right? Mm-hmm. I think as a kid, I was like, oh, they talking about me. Like, what are they talking about? Mm-hmm. Right. So if you walk into the cafeteria, everybody's talking about you. How does that make you feel? I would feel embarrassed. Uh, I probably, I probably feel hurt, which would make me feel angry. Probably like I want to approach them. Oh, there you go. So right, so you just completed the triangle. You thought one thing about me. You felt 
what did you do? You just went over to that table and sound like you were ready to fight, right? Keep uh, your mouth. Yeah. You say, right? So that was me when I was younger. <laughs> so job of your therapist, job of just you in a situation um, as a kid who wants to work on either feeling better or behaving better, not getting advice at school, right? Um, what I would say would be to challenge that initial thought that you had. They talking about me. How can you challenge that for either accuracy? How can you challenge that based on the way that you think about yourself? So that would be to say, I don't know if they're talking about me. Maybe someone just told a joke. Or that would be to say, there's no reason strangers should be talking about me when I'm cute and I'm funny. Let me go see what's up, right? And now instead of feeling embarrassed, I'm feeling confident. Maybe I'm feeling curious. Maybe I'm feeling, who knows, right? But just by changing that thought where I was sure somebody was talking about me and I'm embarrassed and I'm going to go fight, now I can approach the situation feeling a little better, a little more confident or curious or optimistic at least, yeah. right? And then I can walk over to the table. So someone who's been abused, someone who's been neglected is more likely to have a negative or an inaccurate thought. Someone who lives in a stressful environment is more likely to feel antsy right, is more likely to act out. So our job as people who want to work on how they're handling themselves, people who have been traumatized, who just want to feel better, be better, or to be better, right, is to challenge our initial thoughts to be more positive yeah. or to be more accurate or to be more helpful. Um, and the older we get, <laughs> the better we get at that, the more used to it we get. Um, and hopefully when it comes to adult situations, right, if it is you and a coworker and you sure she been talking about, right, changing your initial thought <laughs> mm -hmm. of with different feelings and then having a better outcome. For sure. Well, um, we, use, we do takeaways, but it sounds like, um, and I don't want to speak for you, but a good takeaway would be to be mindful of the connection of how you think how you feel and what you do. Is there anything else you would want to say as takeaways to our audience? Um, no, I, I do think that that is the most important if you're able to um, target any one of those three domains, right? So I talked about behavioral activation. That means to say, if you're more active, if you're taking better care of yourself, your thoughts are likely more positive mm -hmm. about your feelings. If you could just go in and target your feelings with deep breathing, with um a bath with right aggressive muscle relaxation that we teach but if you can target any one of those three domains um you'll be in a much better place in terms of like your overall functioning so um yes be mindful of your thoughts your feelings and your behaviors what you do and hopefully that connection will be more more positive overall most definitely at first, when I was watching you do the video, I was like, this don't work. Like, just watching it, it doesn't seem like it works, right? And so, yeah. it's my job. And for me to be certified, I have to practice it. And I have to do these phone calls. So, I have to show that I'm really doing it. So, mm -hmm. one of my clients, she has a, a, a long trauma history. And so, I was kind of scared because mm -hmm. I was like, she has a lot, like, a lot of different pieces. I don't think this is going to work. But I was like, mm -hmm. let me try it out. And, oh, my gosh, it's been so helpful. So now I'm like, okay, yeah. TFCBT does work. <laughs> and the cognitive triangle does work. work. 
And I like that you can do a cognitive triangle with different clients because I don't use TFCBT for all of my clients. But even for like my clients where I do like solution focus or like narrative, I still use the cognitive triangle because it still makes sense in different settings. So I like it. Yeah, yeah. I think even when you haven't been traumatized, if you're just working on being depressed or being anxious, um, or even OCD behaviors, as long as you can make that connection, um, the cognitive triangle, I definitely think works. I'm so glad you're able to apply it in your your therapy with these kids. It's definitely, um, like I said, the more that we become familiar with it, the I think the easier it is for us to use in, in day-to-day and especially with with our clients yep for sure well thank you so much and yeah we'll have you back soon <laughs> thank you so much i appreciate your time i see the countdown going <laughs> well thank you so much please i will look forward to seeing great things from you guys in the future thank, thank you